Hey, it's Ellen. I just wanted to remind you that my new book, Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman, is out now. This book not only provides encouragement and inspiration, but also a comprehensive how-to guide of how to make a difference in your community. It's a message that all of the amazing women in your life need to hear. You can buy it today on Amazon.com or anywhere online that books are sold. Welcome to Step Up, the podcast where we learn to advocate like a woman. I'm your host, Ellen Troxclair. Each week, we talk to a different leader about how she became active in policy and politics. Whether it's joining an organization or running for office, I hope you come away feeling not only supported and inspired, but determined to step up and be a part of shaping your community and country. Hi, I'm Ellen Troxclair, your host of Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman. On this episode, we're going to talk with Tiffany Barfield. Tiffany is originally from Texas, but she's living in New York City to work for NAF. That is a college-to-career-themed academy. They help high school students uh, see the value of work through work-based learning opportunities and paid internships. And she also has a passion for advocating for the disabled. She sits on the board of the National Down Syndrome Society. So she's an advocate both in her professional and in her private life. And I'm so excited to to learn more about how she got involved in policy and politics. Welcome, Tiffany. Thanks so much for having me, Ellen. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So so tell us how how it all started for you. How did, how, what was what was the kind of the first time? Well, you worked for the uh, on the W campaign, right? Was that kind of your first entrance or introduction into policy and politics? So I would say I volunteered on the 2000 campaign, but connection to politics and policy certainly came much earlier in life. And that was through my parents and my grandparents. Uh-huh. They were always active in, in the civic community. I, I grew up in Pasadena, Texas. And But moreover, uh, I had a sister, Trina, who had partial trisomy 13, and Mm. Trina was uh, severely developmentally delayed. She didn't walk, she didn't talk, and she lived in a baby bed in a nursing home until she was 21 years old. So my parents, um, who are my heroes even to this day, fought so hard for Trina and her rights. Trina had to be placed in a nursing home because she needed 24-hour care. My parents very much wanted to keep her at home but knew that they couldn't. Mm. Trina lived in a private facility in Houston that was called uh, Thomas Care Center. My parents were active. My father was president um, multiple times of the parent association. They testified here in Austin with the state legislature. And at one point, probably around when it was first or second grade, they were thinking about closing uh, Thomas Care Center. And I was so upset and didn't know what to do. So um, had heard my parents talking at the time they were meeting with Senator Chet Edwards. So I took it upon my first grade self mm-hmm. to write a letter uh, mm-hmm. to Senator Edwards. And they never did close Trina's home. But I know that advocacy, and especially for those that can't advocate for themselves, my grandmother would always quote, too much is given, much is expected. And I think today that resounds even more importantly, um, not so much given and monetarily, but given Mm -hmm. the voice and the opportunity to speak on behalf of others. I was an education major, so had completed my student teaching. Mm -hmm. And prior to um, getting my degree, I went to go visit uh, my cousin who lived in Washington, D.C. And she was working for a senator. And when I went up there, I was like, holy cow, this is run by young people. Well, I like to run things. 
Oh. So let me give this a try. So January 14th, 2001, um, I had a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. I'd found some housing, and I proceeded to pound the pavement and get my resume out there. And why I bleed maroon and so much believe in the Aggie Network, um, I got connected to a dear friend of this day, Michael Crane, and he passed my resume on to the White House. And they asked me to come in and volunteer for two days, and I did a good job. And um, the Office of Domestic Policy hired me as a staff assistant. Wow. So I spent um, an amazing six years um, in the administration of uh, President Bush in a wide variety of roles, and it was the greatest experience. And many of um, the friends that I have are lifelong friends and lifelong mentors, and I carry the lessons and the attributes um, from being there on 9-11 to um, the many experiences that I had, but most of all, the people. Wow. It's interesting that you mentioned the the network because that is such an important it's it's one thing to go to college and it's one thing to have an internship but it sounds like you and I both probably got our initial our, our first jobs or our first internship I mean I, I got my first inter- internship through um, a, somebody a friend of a friend, you know, um, who sent me an email from the a chief of staff uh, for a state representative. She was looking for an intern. And if I didn't have that personal connection, I never would have gotten that email and I never would have gone in for an interview. And it was an unpaid internship that, that later turned into a whopping $400 a month. Uh, but I was happy. To, I was so grateful to have it at the time. Uh, and, and and that idea of building that network or offering students um, a network of people who can give them the connections to help give them that first job, I think is is something that you can't even put a price tag on. I mean, it's one thing to give a kid a scholarship to to go to college, but um, but the network that they're going to build while they're at college, like just like you said from A and M, um, that's priceless. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and those kids might not otherwise have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you were working in the administration on 9-11. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Um, you know, it's crazy to think how many years ago it was. I'll never forget. I was actually um, filling in for Margaret Spelling's assistant that morning. Mm-hmm. And you see kind of an AP clip. And at that moment, they thought it was like a Cessna right. that had hit um, the World Trade Center. And I will never forget, we I was on the second floor and kind of further down there was the um, part of the national security team who was locked behind like this, you know, door and magic code to get in. Mm-hmm. And they come flying out. And I was like, there is definitely a problem. And... There was uh, an associate director, um, Marisa Madrano Perez, who is a, a dear friend uh, to this day, who was also an Aggie. And she said, we have to get out of here. And people started running. And we got into my car. We drove out to her apartment and picked up her little dog, Roni, and drove further out to Fredericksburg. And I think we checked into a Best Western or, or something. And then she got a call from Margaret. I got a call from John Bridgeland. Uh, we were expected back the next morning and we drove in on September 12th and the Pentagon was still on fire. We knew we had to be back because there Mm. was a greater purpose to serve. Mm. And I was just a lonely little staff assistant. Mm. About a week later, I'll never forget, I was sitting um, at my desk and I see Margaret's name come across like my little personal line. And I was like, oh, I was kind of terrified, like what happened? And um, she was just like, Tiffany. And I was like, yes, ma'am. She was like, I want to check in on you. How are you doing? 
It's like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm handling it. And they'd offered tons of support for, mm-hmm. I mean, the young staffer is 23 years mm-hmm. old. Um, she said, well, I just want to let you know that if you're not okay and you want to go back to Texas, we'll help you and we'll find something for you. Mm-hmm. And to this day, almost 20 years later, in fact, when I, when I see Margaret, I will never forget that. She was one of a very few that reported directly to the president, but mm-hmm. she took time to check on me. Mm-hmm. And... That was a testament to me about women and how you should lead, Mm. that wherever you are and whoever you report to, you should always check on those that might not directly report to you but are in your orbit. And that's how I want to lead. So lots of things happened um, post 9-11, but those are are the most um, vivid memories. And, you know, it's just one of those I'm forever thankful and forever grateful for the men and women that serve um, my father served, and I think we don't do enough to appreciate them, mm-hmm. um, especially when they're defending our freedoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's amazing that you lived lived through both of those and yeah. are, are here today to, 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 to tell the story. Yeah. Um, so you said also something that was really interesting, which you went and visited a friend in D.C. as you were graduating or in, in college still and saw that it was run, run by young people. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it? I, I mean, it. <laughs> don't you think that regular people think that D.C. is, you know, a bunch of really rich, powerful people who've, who've been around a long time and who have... I don't know, special credentials or, or have been born on, into it. Like, it is amazing because the same is true at the at the Texas legislature. I haven't mm-hmm. spent nearly as much time in, in D.C., but um, certainly capital staffers, you know, the, the budgets aren't huge. Uh, it's taxpayer money, so probably rightly so, but the budgets yeah. aren't huge, and that means that you typically attract uh, young people right out of right out of college and um, while they're not the elected officials they are the gatekeepers and they are the ones that are a lot of times making recommendations to the elected official um, who doesn't always have time to to dig into all the research so the staff is really important and really critical oh they're absolutely key and I would say not only from my time in DC but you know so many people just have the perception of what you see on the TV and Mm. you see the principal and it's knowing Mm -hmm. what happens behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and the relationships that you can build and and the connections that you have and it's funny in my my current work doing policy and advocacy for NAF it's getting people to understand that when you're in front of a a senator or representative either federal or state or a mayor locally or a school board member it's um, you need to be able to give your message in three bullet points or less mm-hmm. because they're generalist. I'm not trying to defend um, an, an elected official or political, but you have to think they have to care as much about education as they do tax policy, right. as they care about what's you know what's going on with the health dollars, what's going on with the transportation department. Right. So being able to articulate your message cleanly and fastly, as you know, mm-hmm. um, I would say is is so important. But it's those relationships that behind the scenes are, you know, how things happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was going to ask you, what have you learned? You are, it seems like you're an expert advocate because you do so much, not just in your professional life, but in your personal life as well through uh, your volunteer work. So how how do, how are you? I mean, other than um, conveying your message in three bullet points or less, what is your advice on how to be an effective advocate for an issue or a topic or something that you care about? It's 
be authentic. Mm. Tell your story and how, why it matters to you and how you're connected to it. For instance, paid internships, why are they important to me? Because when they serve students and, you know, not only is it an equity proposition, but it's exposing students to the world of work and what the possibility of the future that they can be. Mm. But then if you want to, if you're talking to someone, it's like, it's also your future talent pipeline. Right. So invest now. Right. Um, when you're talking about... Um, when I'm working on advocacy for the National Down Syndrome Society, it's we're the leading human rights um, organization for people with Down syndrome. And mm-hmm. why do we need that? Even today, which to get my little nugget in to help, um, there's a lot of things that we're working on, but one that specifically calls out to me is we've had um, people with Down syndrome sometimes don't get on the organ donation list. Mm. So there was a case out in California, even though California has a state law, um, where the young man was denied because of him having Down syndrome. He was denied to receive an organ. Mm-hmm. Wow. Even though we have ADA and other things, sometimes it takes state laws that can really help. You know, if you go through the process, you could miss the time point of when this person needs the um, organ transplant. So, And how do you, so they're basically saying that somebody with Down syndrome is not worth the same as somebody without. Correct. It's really um, people with disabilities face discrimination on organ transplants list. And despite federal protection, people with disabilities still do not receive um, equal consideration because of the lack of federal enforcement. Um, There's a demonstrated need for state action right now. So that's why my ask is Texas Mm -hmm. does not have a state law. Um, So there are other states that have um, in place um, that prohibit this type of discrimination. Mm. So. Um, certainly something to think about for the next legislative cycle, yeah. um, a state law around that. So so the National Down Syndrome uh, Association is, Society, Society is, is advocating for that. Is there a, a local, I mean, are, are you doing work in Texas to try to educate Texas legislators or in individual states? Um, or are there local organizations, state-based organizations that are taking up that cause as well? We are, and we also work with um, our, we have a, advocacy group and um, self-advocates, which um, something really exciting. We have the first registered lobbyist with Down syndrome um, for the federally, um, Kayla McEwen. She's um, unbelievable. So we have self-advocates. We have some here in Texas, so are always looking for um, partners and supporters uh, to help us with this. Yeah. It was... Uh, really shocking. What? What? Remind me of the details. You probably know better than I do, but I remember that there was a congressional hearing where a man with Down syndrome spoke, basically having to defend his. I, I don't know if it was a pro-life um, piece of legislation. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? And he had he went in front of Congress and basically said, "I can't believe that you think that I don't have a right to live." So there's many instances of those, but a few years ago, um, we partnered with several organizations and had um, the ABLE Act passed, which allows for people with disabilities to um, keep their benefits, Mm -hmm. even after, you know, if they have a job and make a certain, like the threshold was only Mm $2,000. So how can you, so we were able to alleviate that. So there's kind of a 529 around ABLE accounts. There's definitely been um, discrimination and and thought, you know, there was a, um, was it Iceland or somewhere in the mountains? Like we eradicated Down syndrome. I, I, that made me so mad. (laughs) 
uh, when I saw that headline. Yeah, the, the, and it, it was a. I mean, it was an American uh, news organization that CBS. The, it was CBS yeah. that said, "Oh, look at them! They eliminated Down syndrome." And and what was it really? Yeah, that they we were know what it was. <laughs> well, yeah. that they were aborting babies mm-hmm. that they discovered had Down syndrome before they had the ability yeah. to be born, and how devastating! It's just one of those, um, you know. For for me, it's um, you know, with people, it's you know, it's it's their right and personally, but to advertise, and especially that we have people that are living with Down syndrome and, and add so much to our world. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough, um, and for some it can be a, be a tough road. So I'm certainly not saying, you know, someone has to make this choice or that choice, but it's the right that if they are um, here, we need, they need to have mm-hmm. access and equity to everything that someone like you and I do. Mm-hmm. And there are many instances, one of the other pieces, it's the laws that hold so many people with disabilities back. Like not getting access to them to Medicaid, what it, you know, um, schools. So we have, um, we launched a few years ago called um, Law Syndrome. And, you know, when it comes to the world of work and, and a wide variety of things. So, you know, it's um, definitely tough and personal, but back to your what makes a good advocate, it's those parents telling the story. Mm. And and the personal story, even though Trina didn't have Down syndrome, the community is something that is my heart's passion, and I will fight um, to do whatever I can for those that have a disability mm-hmm. because um, we're all different, and their different ability doesn't make them any different than me. And your passion certainly comes through when you talk about it, and that's why it makes it so much more compelling. So for someone who wants to find out more, for someone who that who that message resonated with and, and wants to get involved in disability advocacy, um, how do they how do they learn more? Absolutely. Um, you can email info at NDSS.org and then our website NDSS.org has um, a lot of information and you know it's one of those you mentioned kind of the time away. I have found ways to we do a buddy walk in um, New York. Mm. My husband put together a Marshall program because we do it usually in September, which is high time for training if you're running the New York City mm-hmm. Marathon. And most people run in Central Park because <laughs> that's the best space to run right. um, in our little tiny island of Manhattan. So I've brought in friends that it's been great kind of to open their eyes because, you know, it's there's many people out there that have never interacted with someone that has Down syndrome or a disability. And more importantly, I feel that when you do, you become a better human. Well, we are uh, appreciate the work that you're doing in D.C., but certainly hope that you will circle back to Texas sooner or later. Um, I would love to. (laughs) If someone wants to get in touch with you personally, is there a good way either on social media or email or... Absolutely. I'm on Twitter um, at NYC Tiffany's with an S. Seems like you've adopted NYC. You're you're making me lose hope here. No, no. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for educating us, um, not only about the National Down Syndrome Society, but also about the work that you're doing with NAF. Um, Very, very grateful for, for what you do. Um, oh, you shared something earlier that I that I wanted you to to say on the podcast. You were talking about how um, how being invest being um, oh being invested yeah um, certainly. Like how, I guess I was asking about 
being an advocate both in your personal and professional life. And um, and yeah, what did you say? So both um, a wide variety of um, volunteer organizations in addition to the National Down Syndrome Society, but working for a nonprofit, we all know when campaigns come, our um, donation season comes and, and why it's so important to give. And I've always told folks, especially um, volunteering with the New York Junior League, why it's important in addition to your dues to give is because when you want to go out for funding and they see 100% of your members are committed, Mm. that that's important to a donor. But also whenever you work for a part of an organization, I donate to NAF. I believe in NAF. I believe in its mission and Mm -hmm. what it does, Mm -hmm. um, just the same as I do with the National Down Syndrome Society, as well as Texas A&M University. Um, I think it's, it's just so important and no dollar amounts too small or too big. Um, I always love to say you either give your time, your talent, or your treasure. Mm-hmm. And if you can give all three, that's even better. Yeah. But if you can't, if you can't, if you don't have the time or you don't have the, you know, if you don't have one of the three, pick pick another one that you can do. And certainly giving some of your treasure to a cause that you care about, they, those dollars really go a long way. They're really important. Absolutely. For these nonprofits. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. It was a pleasure talking to you and look forward to seeing um, all the future good you do in all of your endeavors. Thanks, Ellen. This was fun. Do you have a story or a question you want answered? Send me a note at ellen at stepuppodcast.com. Also, give Step Up a rating and review in Apple Podcasts so we can reach and inspire more women. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm Ellen Troxclair. Thanks for listening. Now go advocate like a woman.